Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, June 8th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, West Ham win Messi to MLS and Liverpool make their first big signing. But first, we are diving into the Champions League final between Manchester City and Inter Milan with just 48 hours to go. The tension is palatable. So let's get right into it. Please like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. We need you. We love you. You're part of the show. Please, it means everything. And we need as many people as possible uh, to get into this. Okay, let's get into City versus Inter. Okay. It has been an incredible journey for Manchester City, starting in the group stage, triumphing over such massive opponents along the way. Dortmund, Sevilla, Copenhagen, Leipzig, Bayern Munich, and then finally Real Madrid in what was probably City's best game. Um, They're all gone, and City have earned our place into the final with everything building City fans singing, we're on our way to Istanbul. And this is a moment for City. We are nervous. We are petrified. We're still Manchester City. We still blow these things. City are favorites. There's no room for complacency. Not an inch. You cannot think you're going to win. Inter Berlin is strong. And the gap between winning and losing in such a high-stake game is freaking massive. The players, the clubs, the fans, we're all behind the team to win the Champions League. It's the final piece of the puzzle for Guardiola at Manchester City. And it means everything. It means everything. But let us take a moment, acknowledge that if City lose this, it would still be a successful season. Winning the title three times in a row. Winning the FA Cup against the rags of Manchester United. But winning the Champions League for the first time. To win a treble. To knock United off its porch, perch would be massive. But I cannot lie. I cannot hide it. I and petrified. If you're a City fan, you are petrified. It's natural. This is who we are. But this City team is different. Seven years, some of them, on pain. Seven years of hurt. We don't play with a false nine and no striker. We have a true robotic monster of destruction in Erling Holland. And the defense that used to blow games has long been shored up with Diaz and Ake and John Stones, Kyle Walker, Mywella Kanji. They're all there. They're all ready for the fight. And that does not discount Mr. Laporte. The confidence should be going through all city supporters. But still, I'm scared. The club was built to win this trophy. But wasn't it built to win this trophy the whole time? I don't know. Anyway, let us look into the starting 11. 
We know that Ederson will be there. We know it will be Diaz. We know it will be Rodri. We know it will be Ilkay Gundogan, De Bruyne, and Holland. Those are the certainty. That's seven out of the 11 we know will be there. The other spots, Ake, Walker, Akanji, two out of those three, Walker picked up a knock. Um, you know, and I'm not sure who's going to play uh, at left back. It could be Akanji or Walker. Akanji could be on the right side with Ake. Who knows what there's going to going to be done. Um, and then when it comes to the wingers, is it going to be Grealish? Is it going to be Bernardo Silva? Is it going to be Foden? Is it going to be Riyad Mahrez? I think the most likely is Bernardo Silva will be there. Uh, Grealish has not played well lately, but you never know. What is Pep seeing out of this Inter team? What is Pep feeling will be the best way to hurt Inter? And we'll have to figure that out. I think we can feel really confident that Bernardo Silva will be there. And then Foden, who's had a tough season, will probably be the change of pace off the, be off the bench. Coming in earlier if they need to or, or not. I think ultimately it'll be Grealish and Bernardo, but I cannot see... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them, you never know with Pep, he could do whatever he wants to do in this thing. But whatever Pep decides on, as a City fan, I'm still petrified. This is a 48-hour countdown to history. The journey to the Champions League final has been years in the making, and we are on the precipice of glory. City, ready to take over Europe for the first time. And I, for one, am petrified. That's that's the view from the city side. Uh, but let's get into where things are for Inter, Milan, and what they look like. So the Interesti, they won the league a little bit ago, a couple years ago. Uh, I did not write a full thing for Inter. Sorry, Inter fans. I did write something for uh, the great and powerful Manchester United, who I love and adore and wanted to put the time in to make sure that we all knew what I was feeling about Inter. Um, for Inter, they have an older midfield. Their big decision will be whether Lukaku starts over Dzeko. Dzeko's the one who got them there. Uh, Lukaku's record in big games historically has been bad. We saw him in the World Cup with Belgium. Come on, even though he was injured, it was a mess. But there are some older, older players. Choganoglu's in there. Um, Darmian, late of Manchester United. Their, their likely lineup is Onana in goal, the best goalkeeper in Europe. That's not a joke. Onana is fantastic. Bastoni, Eserbi, and Darmian as a back three with Dumfries, who's their outstanding wing back, and DeMarco with the midfield of Barella, Choganoglu, and Brozovic. That's their best defensive group, along with Martinez and Dzeko up front. They're going to sit deep. It's going to be a five. I'm sure Martinez will have to drop in. It may be a, a five, four, one. Uh, I can't imagine Dzeko is going to be doing too much running in behind. But I think the big thing for Inter is that they have a good mentality. It's a strong side winning 12 of the last 13. And they are ready for the big attack. For them, they are missing uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, who played in their semifinal before they got in. Uh, he did get hurt 
but I, I don't think that, I don't think that they're too worried about that. Also, Skriniar, Milan Skriniar is also missing from this game for them. Those are important players that they've used all season, but I don't, I wouldn't imagine that they are looking to be on the attack uh, in this one. You know, I just wonder where they are mentally in this game. They are the historical favorite, right? We know that Inter Milan famously under Mourinho, winning a treble in 2010, defeating Guardiola's Barca. I think this was a it was a different time then. I don't know that that kind of effort against this city will work. Um, but I think, you know, the betting odds are all in City's favor. There's not much in the head-to-head. We can go through history. We can see here they've played once in 2010. Inter won 3 0, and then once in 2011 with City uh, beating Inter 3 0. So, home and home, there's not much history between them. Uh, the betting odds have, have Inter, have City as the favorite. I think it's plus, plus 200, something along those lines. Um, not really a close one there. Uh, the most the most common scoreline is City win 3-0 or 3-1 at 40% of all correct score guesses. So City are heavy favorites in this one, uh, but you've got to do it on the pitch. The ultras for Inter will be in Istanbul. Istanbul, we know from Liverpool fans, has a history of throwing up crazy results. And if Inter pulled this off, this would be as historic a win for Inter as it was for Liverpool. We know we know that Inter will come with their history and their ultras, and it will be a tough game. Uh, like I said, Inter winning this would be as big as Liverpool beating AC Milan in 2005. And um, I frankly am afraid, like I said at the top, like I went through all those things, it will be a big, massive event and a massive game to deal with for Manchester City and Manchester City fans who are just going to be happy to be here. We don't know how to behave. We don't know what to do. Okay. Now, let us go to the Europa Conference League, where West Ham are champions of the Europa Conference League. They win a slot to the Europa League, joining Liverpool and Brighton. It was all joy for West Ham. They spent the first half hour petrified that they were going to lose this game because Fiorentina, a high possession game, were getting great coaching out of Italy. Italiano really turned around the Violetta and had them playing really well, but I they really didn't threaten uh threaten the West Ham goal. Weirdly, Ariola was in goal and not Fabianski. That was a decision that Moyes made that Ariola had been the goalkeeper. Uh, for the Europa for the Europa Conference League, and he just thought, well, I'm in the final. I might as well ride with the horses that got here. To be fair to West Ham in this competition, they were undefeated, 12 and one, with no losses in this competition, and they sent out their regular horses. The big change for them was Naif Aguirre along with Zuma, although Zuma had to come off; he'd been injured all season. Emerson and Kufal at fullback for the great and powerful Cresswell who was unable to make it, the Scouse bastard. Rice and Suchek 
It ended up being Declan Rice's last game, which was interesting. Uh, Bowen, Ben Rama, Paqueta, Antonio. Antonio doing the grafting up there on his own, taking the balls down. And it ended up being Lucas Paqueta in the number 10 role. Uh, an unusual role you just don't see anymore until you see it. In which case, the goal uh, that ends up winning the game in the 90th minute, Paqueta fighting in the midfield ball drops to him in a quick little turnover and he fires the ball on a great run by Bowen. Bowen's in on goal. The whole place is going wild. Moyes is running down the touchline. The shot comes in. Bowen scores. Cue the scenes. And my word, did they celebrate for West Ham. The first goal was a penalty uh, taken by Saeed Benrano on a handball. Very straightforward. A little bit of a longer VAR view than I would have liked. I don't like VAR, but this one was clear, and I guess you should be glad it was there. Whatever. Uh, Buenaventura, the ageless wonder of Fiorentina, did bring them back level five minutes after. So second half saw all the goals. First half, not much to write home about. This was cagey. This is what David Moyes was always going to do. Fiorentina did have 70% of possession. Now, that's the nuts and bolts. The feeling, though, that I'd like to talk about is... How these newer competitions, you know, you can make fun of the Europa Conference League all you want. Uh, it's the third trophy involving the 65th ranked teams and, you know, the sixth team in the UK and the fourth team, the sixth team from Italy and the 10th team from that and blah, blah, blah. We talked about this with Sevilla and the Europa League. But this mattered for West Ham. Uh, West Ham hadn't won a major European trophy since 1958 with Bobby Moore. They had won a trophy earlier, but I'm not a league cup. Maybe I'd have to look it up. But the way the players reacted, what it meant to David Moyes really does hammer home what these trophies mean to supporters and players. We can talk about it not mattering, you know, in the greater scheme of a team's economics. But for players and supporters, again, that fourth, those four, those pillars of, fo of football, right? Uh, in in American sports, we have owners, we have players, and maybe the third estate is the journalism, the journalists and television, the media. In European football, we have a fourth constituency, which is the supporter. And in this case, the team, the players, and the half the half the group, the players and the and the supporters love a trophy. The finality of it. The ceremony, uh, I was listening a lot to Russell Brand, who's a famous West Ham supporter, and he did use those right words. He used a lot of religious imagery around it. And it's the trophy lift is ultimately a ceremony culminating in a journey, a hero's journey of work. Uh, and religions have this. And football does have religious aspect about our singing together, our chanting together, our watching together, our feelings together. It lets you have feelings that you wouldn't normally have. And so these trophies being lifted have a more meaning. And it does call into question some clubs that are aspirational. You think about the Wenger Arsenal years when they weren't winning trophies and fourth place is a trophy and, um, and Spurs sort of foregoing under Pochettino, trying to win the FA Cup and being focused on the Europa League, on, on winning top four and, and saving your bullets for another day. And while... Financially, it was important for the clubs to have that um, Europa, Europe, uh, Champions League money and the exposure. And, and that stuff matters in building brands and whatever. I understand it. No one 
goes back through time and remembers the fourth place season that you didn't win anything. What Spurs fans remember is the Champions League final, is the semifinal against Ajax. And that, and that season, you finished fifth. Um, Arsenal fans remember winning that FA Cup in 14 against Hull as a new beginning, as a new dawn. Not the 10 years pr prior of, or six years prior of finishing in the top four. The leagues sort of blend into each other. You know you finished well, you had a good season in the overall, but you don't have that exclamation point, that ceremony of lifting a trophy and that collective group catharsis of winning and cheering and being the last person standing as though you've gone through the um, the ritual of going into the forest, of the maturity ritual of going through the forest, killing the animal and bringing it back to your family and getting that mark of blood across your forehead or your cheeks or cutting your skin or whatever the those primal ceremonies are. Winning of a trophy has that primal ceremony and West Ham will have that. The scenes out of it were incredible. Moyes with his father, Moyes dancing to the proclaimers, Moyes with his, you know, with, with his teammates, um, the, the young boy who's 10 years old crying about West Ham being the greatest club in the whole world and this being the most important day of his life. Because for a 10-year-old, winning a trophy is the most important day of his life. And so as much as Manny makes fun of me for my philosophical moments, um, these are what's happening. And this is sort of segues back into, you know, City trying to win this trophy uh, in the Champions League, what it means what it'll feel like, how it will lift me, how I might cry, how I might roll around on the ground and, and giggle and, and all the feelings that football gives you. And so uh, I praise to the great and powerful West Ham for winning their trophy. Next, we've got to cover uh, our friend Alexis McAllister finally signing for uh, Liverpool in a not really secret move but i think the thing that's so shocking about this move is that it was only 6 to 35 million pounds which was a huge discount from what we were reporting earlier which was around 60 million he is 24 years old he is coming off a world cup victory with argentina along with enzo fernandez at chelsea along with alvarez so there's a big argentinian contingent in the premier league and uh mcallister will definitely help uh liverpool in their europa league uh, he is the first of probably many players that need to come in. He gives depth. Um, we'll probably see your Jordan Hendersons, your Fabinho's, your Thiago Silva, Thiago uh, Motas, Thiago, excuse me, will sort of edge out and we'll start to see more and more of those players. He really does replace the failed experiment of Oxlade Chamberlain and Keita. Hopefully he has a better experience than those two, but he should be able to give a lot to the team. He's a great player, scored many, many goals for Brighton. And anyone who watched Brighton knows how good McAllister is. Um, but there's always a risk when bringing a player from a smaller uh, club into a bigger club. Uh, he did look weird in red. I didn't like it because um, I loved him in his in his blue stripes. But McAllister will definitely help uh, Liverpool. And they probably have at least one more player to come into the midfield. Uh, but they do have good youth. I think I think the youth at Liverpool is underrated. I think that um, when you think about Basetich, who, who, who had that run in the middle of the season and got hurt, uh, we saw Curtis Jones make a big difference in the late in the season. Uh, I think the players are there, and I think that Liverpool will try and not penny pinch, but sort of uh, lift up their 
younger players to sort of take spots within those areas. I thought Harvey Elliott could come back in. He's more of an attacking player, but between Basetich, Jones, and um, and McAllister, you have the start of something that's not nothing. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens there. And then, of course, uh, I made a little video of my shorts about this, so you can review any of my YouTube shorts uh, on Laurent Cortines dot uh, on YouTube and just search for Laurent Cortines. Um, and I made a video about the great and powerful Lionel Messi coming to MLS. It's all that the world can talk about. Uh, I saw a tweet that said he has more Instagram followers than LeBron, KD, um, and five other M famous NBA players combined. Uh, he already added 5 million followers on Instagram to Inter-Miami. This is a big deal. I don't think Americans have a real sense of how big Lionel Messi is. He's bigger than you can imagine. He's the biggest football player in the world, uh, the most famous football player in the world. He doesn't have the personality of Zlatan because God forbid he did. He would have he would have exploded the world. I don't think anyone could handle a player at the quality of Messi and the personality of Zlatan. Zlatan was the personality Messi and Messi was the Messi Messi. Um, but he'll go to Inter Miami and completely change MLS. It will be a stake in the ground. It will be a complete change to what we see in the coverage of MLS and will actually save the Apple deal that was faltering, frankly. Um, I think, you know, in U.S. sport, when you're not on ESPN, you're kind of gone unless you're on NBC or one of the major networks. Uh, the structure of the deal is incredible. Um, he has options to be an owner of Inter Miami or another club. He gets points on the subscriptions of Apple TV, which are international. Apple's no dummies. They know what they're doing. So he will get some of of what he brings in. And he also got some connection where there was some fees from Adidas uh, that connected to him. My guess is any shirts that are sold on MLS, he probably gets some of the shirt money. Uh, it's a unique deal. It's a different deal. It's a deal that MLS is actually making where the player is the partner. The player is part of the league because Messi is bigger than the MLS by a lot. Uh, he simply is. Uh, and that's another one. The other thing that's going on within uh, world football is the rise of the Saudi league. More players are moving on. We've got N'Golo Kante. We've got Benzema joining Ronaldo in that league. And we may have one of these moments that coming on pretty periodically. We saw with the Chinese Super League probably 10 years ago, uh, players moving there for big wages, Hulk, Oscar, uh, but nothing like Benzema and um, and Ronaldo. So uh, we should keep an eye on that. It looks like the Saudis are finally flexing the money that they've had all these years. We saw this happening with the Live Golf moment where they simply got a merger and we see it in uh, the, the ownership of Newcastle United. And I think we're entering another era of sport that sport goes on, sport reflects culture, uh, football is sport. And it has to weather this storm of a new uh, barbarian at the gate. Uh, I'm not saying Saudis are barbarians, but just something new happening. It's Sport is traditionally the most conservative of our human and Western institutions, usually slow to adopt any change. And this is a new change coming in with this massive amounts of money. Kareem Benzema got like a $200 million contract for two years. Uh, Messi was going to get a billion dollars before he chose MLS. So we know that Messi is a man of his word. I think he wanted 
a smaller profile. And I think in MLS, Messi will get a smaller profile. Uh, I'm curious as to what his English is like. I got to imagine he doesn't speak English at all. Uh, he's never had to. He doesn't strike me as somebody who would have learned it. He just doesn't seem to care. So we'll see what happens there with Messi. But there is a new sheriff in town and the Saudis are waving the guns. Um, I'm not going to make moral judgments. We know what's going on with the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia. They are the sponsor of most world capital, world terrorism. That's a fact. Um, so there's that. Uh, it is not a democracy. It is a royal family. So there's that. But the U.S. and West has chosen them to be their allies for the last 60 years. And so when you empower someone like this, and then you get upset when the power you gave them enables them to overtake you, maybe maybe shut the fuck up. So that's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, that's how I that's how I roll when I deal with that. Okay. Um, that was the squeaky bum time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively on the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so should be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show because it means everything. And come on, City. Come on. Uh, I don't know if I'll do the Monday show. We'll see. That's uh, probably be the last show of the season. Ooh.